I want us to read a couple of the scriptures. And I want us to see the scriptures as I intend to establish the purposes of God in creation and much more to show God's purposes in bringing us to himself. God has only one interest to make us like himself. To make us turn out like himself. The goal of God's dealing with us is nothing but resemblance. He wants us to be like him in all things. And if this would be, he has to be our father. We have to carry his nature. Then he has to train us, work on us, correct us as father, so that we will turn out eventually to be like himself. The scripture says of the apostles in Acts chapter 4, that when the Sahindris, the high priest, considered their life, when they considered the manner of, of of words usage, I mean to say, their, their way of expressing their views, their how to looks, their values, the way they responded and they acted to situations, the way they spoke with boldness, the way they demonstrated power, the way they seemed not to be threatened by anything their joy even in blazing opposition. The scripture said, although they observed obviously that they were unlearned, untrained, illiterate, but they also know that they have been with Jesus. So there is something our intimacy with Jesus do with our life there is an expression it gives a life there's this portrait it portrays out of us so it is impossible to be with jesus really and the world will be unable to tell it's not possible your being with jesus will and must be expressed in your life and let me straighten this out here the goal of god is not that you should work for him but that you should be with him and be like him he knows if you can be with him and be like him then you will be able to represent him and this is what i want to show you Trusting the Holy Spirit to give me hot trance and raise up issues that will be dear to the mind of the Father so that we can draw closer to Himself, draw closer to the cross where He had died, so that He can draw us nearer and so that we can begin to resemble Him. Because the whole goal 
of the first creation and the second creation in Christ Jesus is resemblance. That my whole life we articulate and we point and reflect and showcase the Father. Until this becomes the tone of my life, then I am incapacitated to represent him. Now, let's see the original intention of creation. And I'm going to read from here, Nerati. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea and birds in the air, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the bears in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I've given every green bearing plants throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your good. And I've given every green plant as food for all the white animals, the bears of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground and everything that has life. That is what happened. Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. And the evening passed, and the morning came, marking the sixth day. Now, when you look at this account, Moses here showed us by the Spirit of God the template of man, the, fun- the configuration of man, and why that configuration is necessary. Man has to be in the image of the Father if he would be able to administratively function in the place of God. Man has to be made in the image of the Father if he would take the place of God. So what makes us to be able to represent God as he really planned it is that we have to look like him so until you look like him you cannot and you do not carry his authority you cannot and you do not carry his authority let's look at romans chapter 8 
Now that's the first creation we looked at. Before the fall. God's original intention before the fall. Now let's look at Romans chapter 8. Because in Romans chapter 8, the scripture affirms that this plan still remains intact. Man failed really, but the plan did not change. That even today, God is still making men to resemble him. And each time, you are to look at your life and measure it to the picture of God you carry. God is not a smoke, is not a flame. He has a personality. The scripture says that Jesus is the person of God's image. That is, he is the expression of what God would look like if, we, if he were to be a man. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 8. And in Romans chapter 8, we see that this plan remains intact. Let's just read from 29 to 30 because of time. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. That's your destiny. He chose them to become like his son, so that his son will be the first born among many brothers and sisters. We are the brothers and sisters of Jesus, and our life is supposed to be like that of our elder brother. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. He made us right with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. So when God made the man in his own image and breathed into his nostril the breath of life, which made man to be a conscious human being in the body, although he is an eternal spirit, what God did was to put his glory in himself. I mean, he did put his glory in man so that man and his life and values can articulate his glory and the only language creation remember i mean creation remembers is the glory of god that's the language of cooperation now in jesus teaching in matthew chapter 5 jesus articulated this ancient age-long goal and dream and the target of God. He showed us that our life has to turn out to be exactly like the life of the Father. So that when people look at me, my life becomes a reflex of who God really is. And for me, actually, to live this standard and to live by this standard and to conform to this principle of becoming the Father in the flesh, then it meant that I have got to see the Father. And Apostle Paul told us really that our eyes of understanding has to be enlightened. To be enlightened means to be made to see. And he told us what it is made to see. The hope of his calling. He also told us. He also told us that. We need a spiritual aid. 
that has to empower us as we intend to know the Father. Now, all of this happens after salvation. Salvation is the entrance to this process or to these procedures or to these workings. That the highs of understanding being enlightened. That you may know the hope of his calling. That you may know the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. I think the 17 talks about the Father, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, the God of glory, the God who has the eternal capacity, who is as he ought to be, we give unto you the spirit of wisdom and knowledge in the revelation in the apocalypse in the opening up of him in the knowledge of him so the knowing of the father demands a divine opening up and when you look at jesus's beatitude from matthew chapter 5 down to 7 all that jesus was doing was to unveil the father to us now look at jesus's teaching Matthew chapter 5, from verse 43. You have heard the Lord that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and the sense rain on the just and the unjust alike if you love only those who love you and what reward is there for that even corruptors collectors do that such if you are kind on only to those who are your friends how are you different from anyone else even pagans do that but you are to be perfect even as your father is perfect now the word perfect there means behold be exactly a reflection of your father now there's this portion i really want to turn your attention to that is verse 45 jesus said in that way so in the way you live in the way you treat people, in the way you respond to situations, in your attitude of the mind, you will be acting as true children of your father. And how do we act? And how does he act? How does he relate? If you were to be a man, how does he treat humanity? For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and good. In other words, God never allowed the sin nature of man to make man not to experience his graces now i'm showing you the scriptures to bring home a single point that if my life is collected and evaluated and measured and pricked what it should show what it should reflect are not the pressures that I'm going through or the pains I'm going through should not be what I become as a result of how people treated me. Rather, it should be that despite all pains and pressure around, I am like my father. That's your goal. 
Now, when you read that Romans chapter 8, verse 29 for from NLT, NLT says that those whom he foreknew, he also predestinate. So God's intention is to predetermine who you will become in other words god has predetermined what your reactions to situations will be even before they be he knows how you will treat a matter he knows that when the purse of a man falls or when a man loses the property he wants to ensure that you are the one who sees it or come across because he knows that you have no option than to return it he brought you into that office to stop malpractices to stop bribery to stop lying to stop fondling public you know um um fund and really if god had taken a form on the inside of you that's what you will be like now the reason why we have got to pay attention to jesus is that he's the only one that reveals the father to us no one else Look at John chapter 16 from verse, I mean John chapter 1 from verse 16, not chapter 16, it's chapter 1 from verse 16. We're going to read through to 18. From his abundance we have received one gracious blessings after another, for the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing law and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. Now, why was the law given to Moses in the first place? The law was given to Moses so that man can turn out to live as they ought to live. The word live as they ought to live is the Greek word dekeusine. They have to live as they ought to, as God expected to. They have to conform to God. The reason why God gave the law to Moses is to make the people live so differently such that when they are seen, their life speaks of the wisdom and the nature and the love of the Father. That is the whole rationale behind the law. But it was quite unfortunate that despite that, well, the people's life seemingly to go the opposite because they lack the human capacity to leave the law. And when God saw the failure of the law and that the law um, does not actually um, empower the people to live as he intends, then he expressed his unfailing love through his son. Now look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 8. For we know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended for the people who do what is right. It is for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defy what is holy, who kill their fathers and mothers and commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral or who practice homosexuality or the slave traders, liars, promise breakers and those who do anything else that contradicts the awesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our lord jesus christ yet apostle paul reveals to us what made the law to be given to moses is to correct the anomalies the weaknesses the sinful nature the sinful desire in the heart of man so god deliberately placed 
an embargo, a check. So the law was a spiritual principle that helps to check man's inadequacies and insufficiencies and alibi. But when man still failed, the scripture said that God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. And it is only by this unfailing love we understand what God wants us to be like. Now look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God is near to the fathers and he has revealed God to us. The goal of the scripture is that we will know him. And to knowing him, he had to reveal himself. The whole essence of relationship, the whole essence of the death of Jesus, the whole essence of the suffering, the whole essence of God called us to himself is that we will know him. Is that we will know him. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 5. Okay, let me read from verse 4. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So when he was creating... What he was doing was that we would be like him. That would be an expression of his love. Of his love, rather. He loved us and chose us in Jesus Christ. That is the medium, the mechanism, the technology, the process by which God intends to make us what he uses in fashioning our life to look exactly like himself is Christ. So you are meant to be like Jesus. This is not possible without fellowship. Now, let's now look at the scripture that is climax to all of this. It has been my favorite scripture. Oh, the Holy Ghost is giving other scriptures already. But let's just look at this scripture. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Hallelujah. 2 15. 13 to 15. This will continue until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, let me take from verse 11 so that you understand the whole context. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God. So, the unity of our faith is in the knowledge in the knowing of the son of god until we know the son of god we cannot understand where we are heading to or what god is added to us 
or where he is heading to. And he says, these teaching and training in the church continues until we measure to the full standard of Christ. So we don't go to church primarily to be blessed. We go to church to be molded. Like a child is being sent by his parents to the school to be trained out to read and write and maybe given um, value system that conforms to the acceptable values of a society. In the same vein, when we go to the church, the Christians' assemblies, we go to be formed. Now look at verse 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every winds of new teachings. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies. So clever they sound like the truth. That is, when you begin to turn out to be in the stature of Christ, you also build the summit. Now look at verse 15. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. Now these truths talk about the nature of man as intended by God and as it's meant to be expressed in time by the way we live, growing in every way more and more like Christ. Growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. Now, the first thing I want to draw your attention is, or to, to, you, to draw your attention to is the word is the word or is the expression growing up in every way. A particular expectation in every way. So it's not just going to be in my spiritual life. And when we speak of this every way, we speak of four things. Your spiritual life, your relationship life, your intellectual development, and your physical health or balance. These growths affect four areas of your life. There are four dimensions of it. You grow up in stature, in spirit, in elder relationship, and your work with God. Okay, look at Luke chapter 2 verse 40. 240. Then the child grew up healthy and strong. Mark the word healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Verse 52. Jesus grew. Now that child spoken about is Jesus of course. So 52 now spoke to us specifically as how Jesus turned out. He then says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. Now, the wisdom here is not a growth that is measured by the physical stature. It's an intellectual shift. A change of paradigm in his mind. The healing of the paralysis in his mind. He was not handicapped in any area, even intellectually. He grew in wisdom. Intellectual shift. 
and in stature, his physical appearance, he was in favor with God. That is, he was strong in spirit. What verse 40 was telling us, he was strong in spirit, healthy spiritually. I was also in favor with other people. He understood how to relate. So there must this four there must be this four this 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 four dimensions to your life. If at all we are going to adjudge that really you are turning out well. The goal of the Father is that we be like him. And if that is his intention really, then it's meant that there is an expectation for every believer. You are not an accident. Those whom he foreknew. Those whom he knew before, he chokes before. He predestined them. And for you to turn out this way, there is a need for you to cooperate with them. And you see, God will keep working on you. Keep chastising you, keep correcting you, keep exposing you to his word, keep forgiving you, keep making you to add growth some behavior a pattern that does not align or that does not accord in him until you come to the place really when you are an expression of the exact nature image and characteristics of god already you are made in his image you are made in his image the scripture says that let him that boasts or brag both in this that he knows and understand me say let him not boast in his wisdom but let him boast in the fact that he knows and understand me that i am the god who is loving who is kind who is good and who is patient who loves righteousness so there is a way you are to live it must be in conformity to the word of god so the word of god is not just to bless you, it is to make you. Now let's see Hosea chapter 6. From verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces. Now he will heal us. He has injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In a short time he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. Look at that. Look at that. Oh, that we might know the Lord. We are not just to receive blessings from him. We have got to know him. Then it says that we have got to press on to know him. We have got to search him out. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn or the coming of rings in the early morning. So the goal is that we know him. So there is an expectation. Day in and out as I come to church, God is looking forward to my turning out. Ephesians chapter 4, Apostle Paul said, I am beseeching you by the grace of God that you work toward your life march, that which is on God's mind. Colossians chapter 1 also emphasizes that fact, that you have got to work worthy of your calling. So the calling is a call out of the world to be a reflex of the Father. 
I don't know why the Holy Ghost is just flittering that scripture, that verse of the scripture in Acts chapter 4 in my spirit. The Bible says that when the disciples were examined, they found out that they have been with the Father. Meanwhile, before then, you know, they have just raised that lame man that had been there for over 40 years at the beautiful gate. But at the time they called the apostle closely and they began to examine their life, they found out that really they have been with Jesus. Now, Acts chapter 4, verse 13. In Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we saw the picture. And that reminds me of the words of Mark also. It was in Mark or Luke. He said, Jesus Christ chose the twelve that they may be with him. And that he might send them to preach. He might, but the primary purpose of choosing them is that they would be with him. Fellowship. That's the place where they are molded. That's the place where he sits upon them. That's the place where he reveals them. He purges them of everything that does not conform to pattern. Acts chapter 4 verse 13. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. They only sampled two of them, two of the 120 apostles and the 3,000 souls. No, they are now 5,000, of course, of believers. They just sampled two of them and they found out after mounting that pressure on them and that fire that purges on them, they turned out to be nothing but Jesus. You are not like, look, look, I will show you my recipe. You are looking for my trouble. In fact, nobody should see a trouble or should see a side of the believer that does not conform to the scriptures because that should not be present in him. And if that is showcased in you, that only reveals a part of you you have not yielded to God to take over. And that's the beginning of temptation. The Bible said that nobody is tempted except by the which is common to every other mankind. And Apostle James says that when we are tempted, we are not tempted by God. We are tempted by our own by our own lust. So when I'm being tempted, I'm tempted because there are sides of me have not turned to the light of the gospel. I've not allowed God to capture. I've not turned out perfectly as a father. So there is an expectation over you. And this all I have always wanted to show you. And for you to actually look like the Father, He gave you His nature. And He made Jesus to provide for us an avenue that will make this possible. That is assets. He gave us assets. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, We have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through whom also we stand into the grace wherein we stand. So we have asses. We are standing on the platform that was provided by God himself, not by our own efforts. Now, Apostle Paul explains to us the goal of the revelation of the scriptures. And he says, The intention of the revelations 
of the scriptures is to bring us to the point where we know the father and then begin to take position in showing the principalities and power what was on the mind of the father now look at ephesians chapter 3 from verse 3 as i bravely wrote earlier god himself revealed his mysterious plans to me as you read what i have written you will understand my insight into this plan regarding christ so the mystery that was revealed was christ the same thing apostle paul repeated in colossians chapter 2 that the mystery is christ then he began to pray that we come to understand from a single viewpoint the mystery that is contained in christ and in this mystery is contained everything wisdom and knowledge can give to us is enough for us to live on okay verse 5 god did reveal god did not reveal it to previous generation but but now by his spirit he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets it was not only revealed to peter i mean to to apostle paul and to peter's it was revealed to every of god's children and this god's plan both gentiles and jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by god's children both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to christ verse 7 by god's grace and mighty power i have been given the privilege to serving him by spreading this good news though i am the least deserving of all god's people he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in christ and what is this endless treasure we are going to find out i was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that god the creator of all things had kept secret from the beginning so what is this mysterious plan god had in mind there was a divine conspiracy and this conspiracy are just two things one resemblance to fellowship and three the demonstration of the nature of the father and the exercise of dominion over the works of the enemy now let's read on the scripture will speak by itself so i'm not just the one saying what the word had not said so if anybody is oppressed it should not be you if anybody is in pain it should not be you because by configuration you are configured to be a showcase of god's love a showcase of his power a showcase of his kindness a showcase of his love now let's read further god's purpose in all this was to use the church the ecclesia now the word church here also means the called house those who he made the ecclesia he called different like he he, he called the 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 jews i mean the hebrews out of egypt unto himself to reveal himself to them we are the ecclesias then he said that the purpose in all this was to use the ecclesias the church to display his wisdom in his rich variety to all unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was his eternal plan see i am the demonstration of god's eternal plan I am the demonstration of God's eternal plan, which He carried out. That plan did not fail in Adam. It did not fail with Noah. It did not fail with Enoch. It did not fail with Abraham. 
It didn't stop with Moses. It didn't stop with any of the prophets. The scripture said that he carried it out through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And because of Christ and our faith in him, we now can come boldly and confidently into God's presence, inclusive the plans. So please don't lose heart because of my trials. I am suffering for you. So you should feel honored. So Paul said, look, these things that I'm sharing with you was revealed to me. And I'm so sure about it. And I'm so obstinate to let everybody know about this mystery. To the point that I do not care if I lose my life on this matter. Let's see what he said in Galatians. All this, please, um... All these places I'm showing us from the scriptures, I don't intend to go deep down, but I just add two so that you understand. And I feel we have got to see scriptures enough, enough, before I begin to step into some of the things the Lord laid in my spirit. Hallelujah. The goal of God is that we know His Son, we know His plan, and so that we conform. Galatians chapter 1. Glory be to God. God does not want it to turn out badly. And that's why he ensures that all your needs are met in Christ. And he made Christ sufficient. There's nothing you need that you cannot find in Christ. Now, let's read from Galatians chapter 1. We are going to read long verses of the scriptures. Actually, I'm going to verse 16. Because of time, let's just read 15 and 16 for time's sake. But I would have loved to show some other portions of the scriptures, of this part of the scriptures, to show you why Apostle Paul wrote these letters in the first place. But time will not permit me. Let's just see the main text of that scriptures while I'm making reference to it. Verse 15 and 16. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me. Now, the word called is also the word ecclesia, to set apart, to bring out of, to make different. Called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me. So that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. Now, two things are here. Jesus was revealed. The word revealed is the Greek word apocalypse. Apocalypse means to open up, to unravel, to uncover, to disclose, to explain, to expose, to make to understand, to make to see his son. So that he will be a revealer, oh Jesus, of the Son. And that would not mean revealing his Son just by the way he preached, but by the way he lived. So, there are three things I want to show you. One, that there is an expectation over your life. Two, that you are to live like the Father. Three, when you conform to what God has in mind, you will carry his authority and doors will be open to you. No devil can stand your way. You are, you, are, you, are, you are meant to be the picture of God in the world. So that when men are looking out for God and they are in doubt of the existence of God, when they look at you, they would know by the way you live, by the authority you exact, that God actually is alive. The Bible said that when Jesus Christ gave 
of the ghost. All those who came to Golgotha, where he was crucified, said of a true, this man is equal with the living God. And I know sometimes the Lord has been giving me three scriptures. From Isaiah chapter 5 from verse 1 to 10. From John chapter 15 from verse 1 to 5. And from Luke chapter 13 from verse 3 to 9. At which we can see them. And all of these scriptures are meant to show us that there is an expectation of our lives. In Isaiah chapter 5, there is a story of a vineyard that was planted in a good environment and was given everything it takes for him for it to blossom now in this case we are looking at the old vineyard not a particular plant the owner of that vineyard did everything of course that was god god showed us everything he did to make sure that the vineyard turns out well but it was very painful that it turned out badly. And God began to sing his ballad to Isaiah. He said, I will sing to you the song of my beloved. He has a farm. He planted and did everything. Then he expected it turned out. By that scripture, God is showing us that he blessed us so much because he expected so much from us. A way of saying there is an expectation. In Luke chapter 13 verse 3 to 9, Jesus told a parable of a particular plantation, a tree that a farmer planted. And he didn't plant it for decoration. It's not a flowery thing. It's not to, to have ventilation. It's not for beauty. It's not to preserve forestry. He planted it with an expectation that it will bring forth fruit. So, when our life begins to conform actually, our physical expression may not change, but there is a fruit will bring forth. And check it, no tree eats of its own fruit. If your life is bringing forth fruit unto God, Romans chapter 6, then that fruit is not meant for you to eat. That fruit is meant to showcase the kind of being you are. The Bible says that by their fruit you shall know them. That is, a tree is known by its fruit. So when I begin to bring forth fruit, Jesus Christ said, wisdom is justified by our children. That is, a man is known by the way he lives. So our life is inseparable from the way we live. And the way we live is an indication of how much God had wrought and accomplished in us, how much of us He has captured, how much of us had blended into eternity, and eternity had blended into. That's the goal. So, this farmer returned expecting a fruit from this particular tree, and he could not get anything. So, he said, I'm going to, I'm going to cut it down. It's of no use. Then the gardener pleaded. He said, I will fertilize it. I will use manure on it. Let's give it some time. Maybe you are living on the last leg of opportunity the Lord is giving to you. Maybe. Say, so let's give it some time. Whether it's going to turn out this time around. 
Now, in the case of the parable in Luke chapter 13, what we are looking at is not even the whole orchard. We only sampled one of the plantation in the orchard. Then when we look at John chapter 15, from verse 1 to 5, Jesus Christ began to tell us about our union with the Father. He calls the Father, the gardener, he calls himself the stem and he calls you a branch in him. Now, the same message that everything you need really is available. So, if you do not turn out well, one thing is likely that you are not actually engrafted. If Jesus is the stem, you can't be otherwise. In all of these three pictures, God is telling us you lack nothing. All that you need to be like me, I give it to you. He made him know who had no sin that you may become the righteousness of God. You receive his nature. He implanted the spirit on the inside of you. But until you know that his spirit lives on the inside of you and is to make you agios and decay you sine, you may not turn out to be. So the more you know who you are, the better you become, the better you evolve. Okay. Then let's look at some of those references. I don't want to go into them because I want us to move very fast. But you know, I wouldn't mind we spent hours studying this so that we know. Father, help me to turn out exactly as you wanted. That my life will not go opposite direction of what is on your mind okay let now let's read from um Isaiah chapter 5 from verse 1 through to 7 uh, but let's look at the meaning of this parable before we begin to read at all so that so that we have the interpretation of what we are reading in mind before the story begins now look at verse 7 Isaiah chapter 5 verse 7 the nation of Israel that was then, today we can talk about the body of Christ, the ecclesias, the church, is the vineyard of the Lord. We are in his vineyard. The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord, of heaven's army. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. You are the garden of God. He expected a crop of justice. A way of life. But instead he found oppression amongst his people. He expects to be like him. He had invested so much. Let him that brag, brag in this, that he knoweth and understand me, that I am loving, I am kind, I am good, I am loving kindness. I am all of this. And you know, when you begin to know me and you know that this is who I am, you will not be otherwise. You will not be. What does the Lord require of you, O Israel, but that you love the Lord, that you fear him, that you walk in kindness, that you are kind, that you are merciful. That is your life. There's a picture of you. You can't be bitter. You can't be envious. You can't be angry. You can't be sleeping around. You can't be lying. You can't be fighting. You can't be bitter. You can't be in pain. Now the apostle told us that we should not allow the, the root of bitterness to spring out of us. 
that is what it means to be a new creature to be different because now you are you stepped out of god not from the circumstances not from your background not from the conditions around you not from the pains not from your losses so a believer does not transfer aggression no matter your odds, no matter your pain, no matter your losses, no matter what are transpired somewhere with you or with your boss or with anybody with your spouse, you keep it aside. It must not override or overturn who you should be. It must not be clouded who you are to turn out to be. So what is happening around you does not matter to God as much as you turning out to be what he wants you to be. The nation of Israel is the vine of the Lord of heaven's army. The people of Judah are his pleasant garden. He expected a crop of justice, but instead they found oppression. He expected to find righteousness, decayusine, to live as they ought to. But instead, he had cries of violence. Now, let's see what he puts in place to, act, to actually see that they turn out rightly. Because God is not calling you to be what he had not empowered you to be. And like I told you the last time, all that God wants us to be the right person we ought to be in our world is the empowerment of the Holy Ghost and then the gift of the new birth, which he gave to us all in Christ. In fact, he took away your past. You do not have a past. You cannot see this world I used to be. I used to be an angry person. Uh, no, those things do not matter. He took away the past. He gave you a brand new life. A new beginning. That's what the scripture says that whoever is in Christ had come into a new worldview, has come into a new environment, and as a result, he is a new being. So all things had passed away. And when you look at it really, all things had become new because he's a new being. It was not the circumstances around him that changed, it was himself that changed. His world got changed, he's now in the kingdom. He operate from a new plane in God. He's now engrafted in God. So he cannot bear tussle and thorns and you know the unwanted plant. He has to be the shrub of God, the plantation of God. He's no longer a white olive. He's now the fig of God. He's now the rose of God. He's now the, the purple hibiscus of God or the hibiscus of God. He's a tender plant of God. Now look at it. Now I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. Now this is a conversation between God and Jesus. I will sing for the one I love. God says that I will be an I will be a mouthpiece of what Jesus had done or will do in the days to come. A song about his vineyard, a song about his church. This is a prophecy concerning the church. This is a prophecy concerning your life. My beloved had a vineyard, the church, the new creature, on a rich and fatter hill. This church is in Christ, is in God. No sin can touch it. It's the virgin that we conceive and bring forth a child. It's not contaminated in any way. But contamination seems to find his way in but despite this you are not discarded god still loved you and that's why god did not bring us to himself on our merit he brought us to himself on his own strength my beloved had a vineyard on the rich and a fatter hill verse 2 he plowed the land walk 
on the land that was what the that was what he did first he walked on the land he plowed the land and mark please the investment he put in place just to ensure that you turn out well now this vineyard is you i have shown you that is your life okay cleared his stones that will not make you to find roots into him and planted it with the best vines special breed seeds you are the seed of god whoever is born of god does not sin because he has the seed of god yeah he, 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 he has he carries the gene of god in the middle of in the middle he built a wash tower and carved a wine press in the nearby rocks then he waited for a harvest of sweet grape now why did he put all this investment in place because he expected an harvest of sweet grapes but the grapes that grew were bitter now that talks about the lifestyle of the people they turn out badly have you not seen people confess jesus who are very good quoting the scriptures but when you taste a bit of their life ah it is so but have you not read romans chapter chapter 10 where apostle paul said come and taste the lord and see that the lord is good you can't taste the lord and the lord is really good and you are bad then you are not of the same stock you can't be of the same stock and your life is is you know is opposite it's not in conformity it's not in alignment of the lord you represent you need to see really how some believers treat people how they talk how they are full of anger and hatred and you know pains and all of those you will feel pity for them now you people of jerusalem and judah you judge between me and my vineyard what's more could i have done for my vineyard that i have not already done when i expected sweet grapes why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes that is so pathetic that's so painful that's so disappointing and may you not end your life in this shameful turnout in this face hiding existence or character verse 5 now let me tell you what i will do to my vineyard i will tear down its edges and let it be destroyed i will break down its walls that is pathetic and let animals trample it that is pathetic animals will rule over it when we begin to see undesired results fearful outcomes and painful and palatable situations in the body of Christ is because we do not turn out. We do not yield to the investment of God. Verse 6. I will make it a wide place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not old. So the reason why he made you so special or made you a special garden is because he wants to be different from every other plains. I will make it a wide place, a place overgrown with bearers and thorns. I will command the clouds to drop no rain in it. The Holy Ghost cannot walk upon a life that he had breathed upon 
and is not coming conformity to that which he has received. Jesus Christ said, whoever loves my father will we love him and we come and make our board in him. He said, if you love me and you keep my word, we will manifest ourselves to you. The goal of God is to manifest himself to you. That's John chapter 14. Now, let's see the second parable. In Luke chapter 13, 6 to 9. Now, here we see another allegory or analogy that Jesus Christ gave that Jesus Christ gave rather in explaining God's relationship with us and what he expected of us. 6 to 9. Then Jesus told the story, a man planted a fig tree. Now, this is a tree now, not a, a vineyard. The vineyard is the body of Christ. It's the life of the believer. To streamline that. A man planted a fig tree in his garden. He has a garden. In his house. Now, this is talking about an individual life. Now, the first one we read in Isaiah chapter 5 pictures the body. God's expectation for the body. Now, in the parable of the fig tree as told by Jesus, Jesus then began to examine the life of an individual in the body. A man planted a fig tree. This is an individual in the body of Christ. In his garden and came again and again. Every year, he keeps listening to the word of God. He keeps praying. He keeps fasting. He keeps expecting miracles. He keeps expecting blessings. But his life is not coming into perspective. Into fashion. Into alignment. Into prospect. Into the original intention. This is painful. This is God's expectation. A man planted a victory in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. My God. This is painful. Always disappointed. Always disappointed. Now verse 7 now says, finally, he said to his gardener, I have waited for three years. And there hasn't been a single fig. Oh my God. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. For how long have you been coming to church? For how long have you been fasting and reading the Bible? How much quotations of the scriptures you have born in your head? But what has those things turned out to be in your life? God is looking for a fruit and that fruit is not purple, it's not bananas, it's not apple, it's not guava, or whatever fruit you know of. The fruit is in your character, in your turnout, in your disposition, in your attitude, in your responses, in your treatment of people, in your value or relationship and the lives of others. And I keep saying some people places value on what they have. Their head goal is only what they have, what they've owned, what they've acquired so far. Their certificate. Babylon are taking possession of them. Materialism is their God. Their God is their belly and their possession. And when you approach, oh, my God, when you press their life really, you won't find anything. All you will find is ego. And it's not, it's not because they do not know God. It's not that God had not put the investment, but they do not see the investment. 
They place value on the momentary things. Jesus Christ said, The world is going and the loss thereof, but those who do the will of God will abide. You will fade with time if you don't submit or subscribe to divine intentions. Now look at the verse 8. Where grace spoke up. Then the gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year. I will give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. You still need fertilizer. After you have been planted in the garden of the Lord, where you should bear fruit. Those who are planted in the garden of the Lord, the psalmist said, should flourish. But you still need fertilizer. And now he said, look, even Jesus had given you the fertilizer. You are starting on his own strength, on a good ground. He didn't say you should go and stop doing evil before you really become a better person. All he asked you to do is to open your heart to receive his words. James said that, receive the engrafted word of God, which is able to save your soul. He said, lay aside all the superfluity of naughtiness, all the stupidity and, you know, the crazy character and this, you know, attitude you are putting up. He said, receive the word of God, it's able to save your soul. But in the word of God, you know they receive. Then you come to church, you don't listen to the word of God. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Ooh. One more. Maybe you're on the last leg in your life. Leave it another year. And I will give it special attention. And plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you cut it down. Now, that makes us understand the reason why Jesus Christ caused that fig tree. In Matthew chapter 22 or so. It cost it because it was already in the summer. And when the flower of the fig blossom in the summer is an indication that it has brought forth fruit. But when Christ moved, all he saw were leaves, no fruit. In the right season of his life. And Christ said, this one does not fit to live. Well, he did that to express the power of faith. The power of action that is rooted in God or that is plotted. By the authority of the word of God. But much more, he showed us a life that is fruitless. And we will not be permitted to live in God. Because God is not fruitless. Now, in order for you to understand this parable, Jesus Christ gave another illustration. Another analogy. And in this case, he's not looking at the fig as a tree. He's looking at a branch. Oh my God. Look at, from the big picture, the garden, to a particular plant, and not a particular branch and jesus begins to narrow down god begins to narrow down into your life to see that there is no reason there is no excuse that will justify your fruitlessness and you see fruitlessness here talks about the way you live you know some of you think that hey, hey whoever does not be a fruit we will cut it down and you you don't know the scriptures that the fruit is the is the turn out of your life some people cannot follow you to church, cannot, cannot even dare to know your God because of the way you are living. Look at that Moabite woman, Ruth. What do you think will make Ruth to make up her mind and set to the face of, 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 of Naomi that your God will be my God? Although that God will not preserve you and your husband 
and your and your children and you were you were you were, you were so poor you lost everything you've got in this land but i saw something in you is beyond materialism is the god that you have known oh god what an epitome of life that woman lost everything but she saw something naomi she saw god may god bring us to the place where we begin to see the vanity of the material things we trusted the bible says that jesus christ spoke a parable to the pharisees who trusted the money who trusted the money and he told them say the things that mankind value my god my god the premium of god the emphasis of heaven if your eyes is open to see it you will see how far and wide away my god from that which you value so each time the spotlight of god comes over you all that god wants to see is not your problem you are always bringing your problem and conditions and family problems and then unemployment problem parenting problems issues in, in, in your family issues with your colleagues issues with your neighbors before god and how you want god to override your enemies but when god puts his satellite on you he's checking out much of him because those ones who are having problem with the reason why you have you are having problem with them is because you have not carried enough of god in fact you should be the one to show them the life of god so that when they now see you come to beg you that look we saw something you and we have made a decision that we worship your god that's the testimony of a believer not the cars he bought not the job he won not the money he made well it's not good to live in poverty poverty is is hell or if there's anything more serious than that you can compare it to but if you have all the world and you lose your soul my god what will it profit a man what will it profit a man what will it profit a man jesus christ said if he has everything that you can you can envy a man for but he himself is lost and to be lost means not to fit into the purpose hey my god Hey, my God. Of God for his life. Let's see this new picture. We've seen the garden. We've seen the plant, a fig tree. Now let's see a branch. All of this is showing you, you can't turn out badly. It's not in God. Except you are a bastard. It can't be your father and you are something else. It's not possible. If you are something else, it's an indication you are not born again. You are not saved. By their fruit, you shall know them. Man gather fig from fig, white grape from white grape. But you cannot be otherwise. No, it's not possible. No, it's not. It's not possible, dear. It's not. It's not. And if it seems that your life is not in conformity, it means that you have not understood your nature. So you have got to find out your your breed. Okay. Now let's see this. All right. John chapter fifteen. We want to look at what it means to be fruitful. Okay, and Jesus Christ explained fruitfulness to be two things: one, influencing others for God; two, showing forth the nature of the Father by the way you live. Your life is to be a reflection of who the Father is. Okay, John chapter fifteen from verse one: I am the true grapevine. 
and my father is the gardener so this picture here is god jesus holy spirit and man's relationship and the result of that equation the gardener is the father so the gardener that was pleading for that victory was jesus god was the garden where he was planted or the church was the garden and the gardener christ said look my grace is sufficient and the bible told us that jesus christ will not die the second time he won't he died once that by the sacrifice of himself he took away sin forever he's the author of eternal salvation that which he did still speaks today Jesus' sacrifice makes intersection for us. Now, that does not mean that Christ prayed for you. Rather, he talks about the fact that what he did still counts for you. Should be a good start point for you. That's what we call the grace of God. That which had been put to your credit that should give you an advantage and give you a start with God so you are inexcusable. I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. Now, he's talking about the believer. So, you can really be in Christ and your life is a mess. Not because you're in the wrong place, but because you have not actually tapped into the flow of the fluid that is in the grapevine. So, Jesus wants us to see that the problem is not with God. The soil went to sow the seed and say the seed is the word of god the problem is not the seed it's not the word of god it's not the church you are going the problem is the soil of your heart your heart your conformity your attention to formation your attention to divine dealings it seems your eyes is veiled. Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, I think chapter 4 or chapter 5, he said, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those whom the God of this world had blinded their heart. But I believe when a person comes to the Lord, the veil is taken away, the, 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 the blindness is healed, then what can you attribute to be the reason why it's not turning out? He lacks attention. No attention. He cuts off every branch in me that doesn't produce fruit. And he, pro- he prunes the branches that do bear fruit. And we have got to find out what this fruit is. By their fruit you shall know them. Not by their fruit. Um, you appraise them. You know them. The fruit gives identity. So my identity is my fruit. Okay. So they will produce even more. Like that man said, I will fertilize it. He says, if it's not doing well, I will ensure that it does well. So you are inexcusable. That's the point. Verse 3. You have already been pruned and purified by the message i have given to you so we are pruned the reason why we come to the church we listen to the word of god is that the word of god prunes us remain in me and i will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine so what does it mean to be a fruit just to stay with jesus not even to bring somebody in fact it pleases god that you don't bring anybody to church 
but your own life is correct then you now go out there to bring people to church but when they now check your life then say why is this man like this i can't come to this church. look at the way he's acting you are an embarrassment to the god of your father to your own father you are an embarrassment it's just like a child that his father has a visitor and he comes to the city room and fat and everywhere is smelly and he locked the door on them if those men have their way out of that room they won't return that's what some of us are doing we bring non-believers in our midst to see our mess instead of us to trust the grace of god to blast out that evil nature in us no we want to increase in number Remain in me, just stay with me. That's how you be a fruit. Not running here and there. I want to do evangelism. I want to. Mm, just stay with me. Just stay with me. Listen to the word of God. It is when the word of God is going on, you step out of the church. When they are praying, you will not pray. You are the almighty individual in the church, controlling the church and influencing people's attitude and you know, you know, um, um submission to the authority of, of God in the church. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed. So, fruit bearing is in connection with my alignment. Not with my activities. Well, I've known this for years. I'm just telling you this if you don't know. So, you won't be intimidated. That's one of the blessedness of knowing the scriptures for yourself. Nobody will just come and start reading scripture at you. Glory be to God forevermore. This is not to justify your irresponsibility, right? But to show you God's expectation first over you. To sit over you. Okay? For a branch cannot be a fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse 5. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches, those who remain in me, and I in them will produce much fruit. How did they produce much fruit? They just remain. What do you do to produce much fruit? Just remain. Just remain. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So activities does not come first. Without me, the activities will be fruitless by itself. So we can see fruitlessness in the turnout of your efforts. And also, we can see fruitfulness in the turnout of your abiding. But before the effort is made, first abide. It's just like a branch that is pulled out of the stem and the branch is, is, is struggling to be of fight will die immediately. Because it has been removed from its source. Just stay in connection to your source, your father. And the word source is the word father. The sustainer of anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me, and my words are my words remain in you, you will ask for anything you want, and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So, how much 
authority you are able to exert is measured by how much of God's word are taking form in you. So a believer is as powerful or as weak as much of God's word he has. Hallelujah. Now let's look at Malachi chapter 3. Then I've got to run through some of the things the Lord will have me say. Malachi chapter 3. From verse 1 to 5. Let's see how far we can go. Look, I am sending my messenger. We've been reading from NLT. Please do not forget. And I will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. So the way has to be prepared for you to see this God. Your eyes has to be opened. The messenger of the covenant. This is a prophecy of Jesus or about Jesus. He's the messenger of the covenant. And the covenant is found in Genesis chapter 5. That's the beginning of the covenant. The covenant of circumcision. And the scripture says that we are the circumcision. Not circumcised with hands, but by the spirit. We have no confidence in the flesh. We are circumcised. We, we, we are circumcised when the old man was taken away, when the man of sin was destroyed. He is the message of the covenant, whom you look for so eagerly, is surely coming, says the Lord of heavens. I mean, verse 2. But will we be able to endure it when he comes? Who is able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire. So this process of fruit bearing life. Or becoming like your father it's not going to be easy god is going to perform surgical operations in your life he's going to revive you for he will be like a blazing fire that refines matter or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes he will sit like a refiner of silver burning away the dross he will purify the levite refining them like gold and silver so that they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the lord then once more the lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of judah and jerusalem as he did in the past so he has to sit on you so from these parables there are three things the Lord is saying. Number one, that you have been predestined and consequently you have a destiny in God. And if you have a destiny in God, you cannot afford to blow that destiny. Romans chapter 8 verse 29, Ephesians chapter 4 and 5 tells you that you have been predestined to come in conformity to a pattern. So, it's a way of saying that you have all you need to turn out to image the best, to be like God. All you need to do is to deploy the divine deposit, the divine potentials that is placed on the inside of you. And still your potential because it has not found inspection. The moment you begin to work them out, it's no longer your potential, it's now your reality. So, turn your potential to a substantiated reality. And how do you do that? Abide. Stay with the word of God. You should not be a barren fig or a barren garden 
or a barren branch. No, you should not. There is an expectation over your life and you cannot afford to disappoint God. That ushered man will come and every year he's always disappointed. He goes back home disappointed. What was he looking for? Fig, of course. And at a particular time, he said, look, cut down this rubbish. But the gardener pleaded. The grace of God has been speaking to you, but the grace will not be there forever. Because the time we come, you will become aged. The grace will not be there forever. Because you will not be on this side forever. And even if you are going to be on this side forever, you will not have all the time forever. You will age. You are growing older. So God has put in you all you really need to be all he has destined you to be. So there is no clamor. There is no excuse. There's no excuse. So we have got to grow. We have got to respond to the investment of heaven. Now let's see Ephesians chapter 4. That scripture is coming to my spirit. And from that scripture again, I want to remind you that there is an investment in place. So it has to yield. You must not waste this investment. I'm going to read from verse 15. From verse 15, I want to show you that beyond salvation, there is an expectation. Salvation is the beginning of the work of the Spirit in your life. But there is more to harvest. There is more to unlock. There is more to unravel. Verse 15. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. I am reading from NLT. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly asking God the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. To give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of him. You don't have to be stagnant. You have got to improve your knowledge of him. Verse 18. I pray that your heart will be flooded with light. So that you can understand the confidence hope he has given to those he called. So there is a hope. What he hopes that will happen to your life. The confidence hope. And that is talking about. How you ought to live, how you ought to be an expression of God's image on the side. And on the other side, this hope talks about our reign with Christ, becoming one with him and his appearance. That by the time we put off this body, we shall be like him as he is. And herein is our love made perfect that we have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so we are. So we are to be. First John chapter 1 says that what manner of love the Father has bestowed unto us, I think chapter 4, that we are called the sons of God, does not yet appear what we shall be like. But when he appears, we shall see him, number one. We are not just going to see him, we shall be like him. So being like him is consequent upon seeing him. See, there is an investment in place. And I will not squander it. See, I will not squander it in the name of Jesus. I pray that your heart will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confidence hope he has given to those who he called his holy people who are rich who are his rich and glorious inheritance. They are his rich and glorious possessions. You are God's property. 
you are God's building. You are God's husband, husbandry. You are God's farm. You are God's worker. Verse 19, I also pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. You will come to understand it. That incredible greatness of God's investment in you that believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world but also in the world which is come. That's the, the strength of the investment. The same power when it came upon Christ, he made him to, to be far and high or higher above the heavens. That is the same investment that you have in you, but you are squandering it. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and had made him head over all things for the benefit of the court of the ecclesiastes. So all of this investment is to your own dividends, is to your own profit. And the court, the church, the ecclesia, is his body. You are a member of that body. You are part of this program. You are part of this investment. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere. With himself. If he's everything, there's no vacuum. He wants to fill you with himself. So there are four dimensions of growth, like I've said. Four areas. Your relationship with God, your physical development, your intellectual development, and your relationship with man. This growth must express in these four vital areas of your life. And it will also impact your parenting life, your finances. your business life and every other facet of your life now let me give you some facts about growth then growth is the only condition by which you begin to measure out or turn out to meet up the template or the model you have to conform to and if this growth is going to be in your life you have got to understand seven things Number one, you have gotten that growth happens as a result of knowledge, the light you have, the understanding, the clarity. Now, you see from the scripture I read from Ephesians that apostles keep on emphasizing the word coming to understand, coming to see, being flooded with light so that you can see. So, understanding light and understanding it's not automatic you have got to search for it you have got to go for it number two from Ephesians chapter four like i've shown you that growth also comes as you begin to serve as you begin to labor service and that begins with listening with the word of god i mean to the word of god sitting christ said it this way he said abide service stay there until you explore the potential of heaven that is on the inside of you. Number three, growth is natural. You don't need to force it. All you just have got to do is to eat well. So if you are not turning out well, check what you are feeding on. And the reason why the body of Christ 
to days like this is 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 wretched and is 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 eroded of spiritual virtues the bible says in first second peter chapter one they said he has called us by glory and virtues the reason why we are eroded of this virtue the highest and most preferred form of character is because we are being fed with the wrong things so that thing cannot be produced a man is the total sum of what he feeds on so if he does not feed very well he tells on his skin the same thing is happening to us so growth is natural if you don't have it check what you are feeding on number three growth is impossible without health so health comes first before growth and health is observing the norms that provide the vantage or the soil that favors the penetration of your roots where you are built up and you begin to find growth for your feet so it is it is natural it is health so all you need to grow is to eat well rest well exercise your body do all you need to do then naturally you will grow so growth is light growth is service growth is natural health is important in growth stay healthy do not overwork yourself do not try to set up standard and target for you for yourself that god have not set for you do not try to force things on yourself trust the grace the grace is the soil on which you find your stand the bible says that we are justified by faith and then he said we have access into the grace wherein we stand by the same faith have you been justified by faith we have peace we go to our lord jesus christ tomb. also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand so what provides the else is the soil Number five, growth is deliberate. You have got to be deliberate about it. You don't hope for it. You don't say, Lord, help me to know you. Help me to know you. You've prayed that prayer for years. And you have spent enough of your time praying that prayer. That prayer is answered. In fact, it was answered 2,000 years ago. When Christ gave us access to the Father by the sacrifice of himself. Number six, Okay, I said number five, growth is deliberate. Number six, or number seven, I've lost count, but add up to the number. You are responsible for your growth. Growth comes from God, but you are responsible to ensuring you maintain the earth that will flame up this growth. The next one, I don't know what count you have there, is that growth is dieting. Growth is dieting, eating well. And the last one, growth is recreational. As you rest, you will find growth. And these are the things the Lord has been showing me, which I believe are necessary to increase our knowledge of Jesus. And the question is, why do we need to know Jesus? And this question is very important because that is the goal of salvation. 
That's the goal of our deliverance. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says that he has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, and that grace and peace be multiplied to us by the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And verse 4 also mentioned the fact that all that he had given to us will come to us by the knowledge of the Son. And as Apostle Peter was running off that letter, he said that, guys, you have got to grow in grace and in knowledge of Jesus. So knowing Jesus is very pivotal in understanding God's great mystery and in working that, that God's mystery. So knowing Jesus is life. It is joy. It is liberty. It is freedom. It is peace of mind. It is health. It is prosperity. It is conformity to pattern. And let me quickly mention three things you have got to know on this matter. I'm going to spend about 30 minutes more. I just spent about two hours. In your knowledge of Jesus, number one, you have got to know Jesus as the Christ. Now, as the Christ, you know him as the one that is ordained by God to bring deliverance to your soul. It is in Luke... Chapter 4, if I'm not mistaken, but let's quickly check it. Hallelujah. Luke's chapter 4. I think I'm right. That we begin to find the meaning of the word Christ, the anointed. Now, never you forget that in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus Christ asked the disciples what do men say that he was or he is, as the case may be? And Peter responded that he is the Christ. He didn't say he was Jesus. He is the anointed, the ordained of God. The word Christ means the ordained, the chosen. So one of the things you have got to know about Jesus is that he is first the Christ. That's the beginning of the transformation in your life. The anointed, the one that is ordained by God to give you the leverage you want, the deliverance you want. And you have got to understand what the anointing upon him is to do for you. And let's just see, let's just see a, 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 a part of this. Uh, first, let me show you Matthew chapter 16. Lord of me. Verse when Jesus Christ came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, would the people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God now. KJV renders it, you are the Christ, the Savior. In John chapter 6, Peter also reaffirmed that word. Say, we have come to know that you are the Christ, not Jesus first. Now, in John chapter 4, you see that the scripture distinct between the Lordship of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. It also went on to distinct his Messiahship, the anointing upon the Christ, and what that anointing is to make of you. Now, let's go back to Luke chapter 4 like I referenced the other time. I just want to show you some things. 
verse 14 luke chapter 4 verse 14 then jesus returned to galilee filled with the holy spirit's power report about him spread quickly through the whole region he taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone when he came to the to the village of nazareth his boy would home he went as usual to the synagogue on the sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures the scroll of isaiah the prophet was handed to him he unrolled the scroll he opened the scroll he broke the scroll he broke the seal and found a place where it was written he found a place about his life and what was that the spirit of the lord is upon me for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor now i'm reading from energy now the kjv will read the spirit of the lord is upon me because he has anointed me okay this version also says anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor so the anointing comes by the spirit the spirit is what anoints you and he anoints you with himself he gave you himself so the anointing came on christ as a proof to confirm that he is the one ordained by God. And you know, the scripture then tells us the work of the anointing for everyone who receives the anointing and the anointed. What is that? So the spirit is upon me. One. And by the spirit, I was sent to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor is is is, is the, the, the time of the lost favor has come. Verse 20. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then I began to speak to them. The scripture you have heard has been fulfilled this very day. That is the anointed. You come to the place where you know that your eyes is opened, where you know that your garment of mourning is rolled away. When you know that you are no longer a captive on under the, the sphere of darkness, you are no longer blind, you are no longer under the oppression of darkness, you are now set free. That's the work of the anointing. The reason why you still go around complaining, yeah, this is where I am, um, and these are not going well, uh, uh, is because you have not seen Christ as the crystals. Number two, you have got to know the values of a growing believer a believer that is growing has certain practices that makes him grow growth is not automatic you eat to grow it is what you eat you carry Gigo, what you give in is what you give out what you feed on is what you produce so the nature or the value of a growing believer is clearly stated in the scriptures one of them is prayers acts to six verse four the apostles said that we will give ourselves to prayers and the study of the word of god ephesians chapter one Colossians chapter one and all other scriptures romans chapter one in all other scriptures you see paul saying that we do not cease praying for you in timothy said i wish all men pray lifting holy ends without wrath so prayer is a value you have got to call to to be much for god and to do more for god you have got to pray more now look at what Psalm chapter 1 told us about growth. All the joy of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around the sinners or join with the mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord 
meditating on it day and night they are like trees planted along the river bank bearing fruit in a season now look at that they bear fruit in their season they are like tree planted by the riverside and how does this happen to them because they meditate on the word of god so the word of god will do to you what waters does to trees or to plantation that's what the word of god will do to you so the first value is the value of the word of god the second value is the value of prayers the third value is christian fellowship and stewardship we are the steward of god we are the steward of God. I want to pick the words of Apostle Paul. I think that should be in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, We are God's stewards. We are God's stewards. A steward is a servant that is entrusted with the goods of his master. And by that good, he's meant to, to exchange it for profit. He's meant to use it judiciously and make profit from them. He's not a slave. He's an advanced slave. He's, 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 he's a trained slave or a trained servant who knows the will of his master. And who is not just sent around on errands. He knows the will and he can represent his master. We are God's stewards. We are God's stewards. We are God's stewards. We are God's stewards. And we channel everything God has invested in us rightly. We are God's stewards. We are working for the Father. Hallelujah. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds. And on the handed method, we don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God and, and all who are honest know this. If the gospel news we preach is hidden, it's hidden, it is it's hidden behind the veil, it is hidden only from those who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded their mind of those, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about glory about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So, what we preach in the gospel is the glory of Christ, which is the exact likeness of God. So we Verse 5, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is the Lord and we ourselves are your servant for Jesus' sake. Let's leave that. You are the steward of God. So what are your value prayers? The word of God. Christian fellowship and steward or stewardship and service. And when you look at Luke chapter 9 to 10, Jesus began to show us the value of the word of God or what the word of God will produce in your life. First, he told a parable of how the 5,000 were fed by the word of God. The word of God will satisfy your hunger. It's the only thing that we that we that we that we that we quench your hunger, that we put an end to your to your spiritual famish.
from Luke chapter 8 to chapter 10, we begin to see how certain men devoted their life to following Jesus. They brought their substance. And Jesus Christ revealed to them the kingdom. Then Jesus Christ began to tell them the parable of the farmer who went scattering his seed on different soils. And Jesus Christ began to show them the place of the word of God in that it makes us to be fruit bearing. Now because of that we cannot read all of the scripture. Let's just see Luke chapter 8 verse 11 and 12. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word. The seed that fell on the foot path represent those who hear the message only to have who hear the message only to have the devil who hear the message only who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their heart and prevent them from believing and being saved. The second on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fell away when they face temptation. The seed that fell among the tongues represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life, and so they grow never so they never grow into maturity. And the seed that fell on the good soil represents honest, good hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it. And patiently produce a huge harvest. Dedication to the word of God. Then Jesus Christ also told a parable of the lamp. That when this word finds a way in your heart, it serves as a lamp. It shows, it shines. It makes your life bright. And Jesus Christ also mentioned the fact that those who listen to his word are his family members. Look at um, that Luke chapter 8 verse 21. Jesus Christ replied, my mother and my brothers are all those who hear God's words and obey it. So, as a child that we grow in God, we have got to place emphasis, place premium on the word of God. Look at chapter 8 verse 16. No one lights a lamp and then covers it with a bowl or hides it under a bed. A lamp is placed on a on the lamp where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open and everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to the light. So pay attention to how you hear. To those who listen to my teaching and more to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given. But for those who are not listening, even what they think they understood will be taken away from them. So the pathway of growth is the pathway of listening to the word. And it says that when the word begins to crystallize in your being, it burns like the lamp. It is by the strength of this word that Jesus Christ calmed the sea. The disciples were terrified. They thought they were going to die. But there was enough deposit of God's word in the spirit that they called forth from that strength and the storm calmed. We are looking at the effect of growth and the word of God. By that same word, Jesus Christ released the word and a demon-possessed boy became healed. The effect of the word. Jesus Christ healed in response to faith. Now look at Luke chapter 8 verse 43. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding and he could not find 
and he could find no cure and she could find no cure coming up behind jesus she touched the fringe of his robe immediately the bleeding stopped so you can't come in contact with jesus and that thing that is troubling your life character problems spiritual problem will not stop the story abound now when you move to chapter nine we begin to see that jesus christ begins to commit himself to the word of god i mean to his disciples in chapter 8, he showed them the value of the word. And in chapter 9, after he has showed them the value of the word of God, and he has taught them so much so that they can now stand and begin to exercise influence by that word, he now gave them authority to drive out devil because they have the word. So when things are not working in your life, check the amount of the word of God you have. He fed 5,000. And by feeding 5,000, John, the beloved, us also explain to us that the reason for feeding 5,000 is to show one thing. To show that it is the bread of life that quenches your hunger. So the story about, just go and read those scriptures. But the emphasis in Luke chapter 8 to 10 is the value of God's word. The authority the word gives us over demons. How by the word of God we receive a ministry, a mission. The emphasis also shows the value of prayers and the revelation of Jesus' authority and the revelation of Jesus as the Christ of God. So a believer is measured in Christ and Christ is his standard. He is meant to be an example of Christ in world, in speech, in character. And a stature. And a stature has to be in conformity with the stature of Christ. You are going to cry for yourself and say, Father, help me. To turn out to be exactly like you are. In my values, in my principles, in my practices. Can you pray and ask for grace to be like him? Grace to be like him in all ways, 